One thing that has surprised me in working with people with childhood PTSD is discovering just how many people have at least one parent who is alcoholic. I did, I had two parents like that, and so much of what I've learned in my life, I had to learn because of that. My mother died of lung cancer almost 30 years ago, and she was a little younger than I am now. And I saw this comment here on the channel last week that sounded just like me at the time my mom was dying. So the letter is from someone who goes by the YouTube name Donna Schuld, and they write, what would you do if you had a mom who got a cancer diagnosis and you have to take care of her during her illness while she yet says she will insist on heavily smoking and drinking until her dying breath? How not to pressure? Should one become indifferent? Because beating a dead horse is frustrating and draining anyway. I need some alternatives. Ah, so I wanted to answer this in a letter because I I have a story to tell and I have a strong opinion about this. So when my mom was dying, she continued to drink and drinking was definitely um, a factor in what was going on. They first discovered the cancer because uh, she was internally bleeding from complications of alcoholism. And the doctor said, whatever you do, don't drink. And for about two weeks, she didn't drink and it was really um, an interesting and intimate time with her where she was kind of dealing with the problem that had always been there. And, you know, not to talk too much about her. She's been gone a long time, but she still gets to have privacy. And I wish I had been kinder. I wish I had been more understanding. It was right after she died from the cancer that they found. It was right after that that I first got into Al-Anon recovery. Al-Anon is a 12-step program for families of alcoholics. And so I just, first of all, I just want to say you really might want to check that out. And it taught me something very counterintuitive. And it was that an alcoholic is powerless over their drinking. And I had heard that before, but I had pretty much lived my whole life furious at my mother for her drinking. And going on the understanding that if she loved me, she would stop. Now she did love me and she couldn't stop. And what happens to people who are in that position is, you know, I can imagine, like I never got to have any kind of real conversation with her about it. I was so angry. It was, I don't think it was possible for her to have a conversation with me. What I see now is that she must have felt really bad. She must have felt ashamed about the ways that she fell short. Like she was intelligent. She knew the ways she fell short. She knew that we had troubles in the family because of her drinking. Most of all, she had troubles because of it. And I assume she wished that she were free not to have that problem. But in my life now, and especially through 12-step life and being friends with sober alcoholics, I've come to understand alcoholism so much better and what alcoholics explain is that no matter how much they want it, like it just feels like it's got control of them. And there's, you know, uh, somebody very close to me describes it like this. They say, I used to need to drink as badly as I still need to breathe. <laughs> and so if you can imagine that, if you'd been holding your breath underwater and you were, people were just like, why don't you just not breathe? You can't, you kind of have to come up and inhale. And I think that's what it's like. And for her, there were terrible consequences, terrible health consequences that had gone on for years um, and a loss of connection to the world. So many things that must have been painful to her. But at the time, I was just like, the doctor said don't drink. 
The doctor said, don't smoke. The internal bleeding was from drinking. The cancer was from smoking quite a lot, like maybe four packs a day for years. And apparently when you drink and smoke together, when somebody has both of those addictions going, it, it, it really, really increases the likelihood of cancer. So they expected that she had like three months to live when she was diagnosed. As it turns out, she lived two and a half years, but you never know when somebody has cancer, like what the prognosis really is. And so all that time, I would fly home every time I thought it was the last visit with her. And every time, as much as I would try to be nice and supportive, I would end up expressing a lot of anger when I'd see her smoking and drinking. Because in my mind, if she would just quit, like everything would be okay. Well, here's the thing, once there is cancer, in many cases, it may not matter if the person smokes or drinks, like the outcome is going to be the same. And none of us really knows until we would be in a tough situation like that, how we would cope with it. And everybody has their coping mechanisms. And certainly with an alcoholic and a smoker, those are going to be involved. And what I regret is that I didn't have a way back then to just kind of like let go and realize she's, she's going to do what she's going to do. And my choice is, do I want to be present and get to know her and be with her as much as I can to comfort her, to get to know her, to have the conversations we never had? Well, I missed out on all of that. And I'm not just blaming myself. Like if she hadn't have been an alcoholic, yes, there, it would have been more easy, I would imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. But my anger was definitely part of the barrier to that and my impulse to control. So I learned in the 12-step program, Al-Anon, that that, that like instinct to try to grab control and go, if you would just do the thing that you're supposed to do, everything would be okay. That that is what they call Alanonism. And it can be uh, an angry energy. It's a controlling energy. Ultimately, it's a very self-centered kind of way to, place to be coming from because you're just like, I know how this has to be. I know what you need to be like. You're not doing it. I'm just going to sit here and put all this like psychic pressure on you. And, and judgment on you because you're not how I think you should be. That's ultimately self-centered. So I'm telling you about me so that you can then reflect on yourself, Donna Schult. I looked that up. That's a Danish ship. Um, yacht, actually. <laughs> so I think it's, it's just your YouTube handle. But I can hear the anger in what you're saying and also the fear and the sadness. So your mom got a cancer diagnosis. You're taking care of her, and she says she will insist on heavily smoking and drinking until her dying breath. I don't think you can change her, and the sooner you can just kind of release her to just handle this the way she needs to, the sooner you can get on to experiencing love with your mom. I would imagine that if she's been a drinker all this time, that you're a little bit love-starved, and it would be really helpful if you could be seen by your mom. And I know that when somebody's intoxicated, it doesn't make you feel seen. I know. I know what that's like. Um, but it's how it's going to be from now on. She's going to be drinking and smoking. And it, you know what's tricky about that is as people begin to lose their faculties, the cigarettes become dangerous. Eventually, you know, she's not going to be doing these things because she's going to be gone. And I just want to kind of bring to your attention, you have a little bit of time right now. And if you could just sit and get in touch with yourself enough to know, like, for the rest of your life, as long as you live without her, how would you have liked this to go? And I'm, I'm just going to suggest that probably you would like there, there to be like an easy exchange of love and um, companionship together so that she gets comfort from your, your presence and you feel a little more complete about a relationship with a mother who probably had some problems and couldn't give it all to you as a kid. To just have what there is to have right now. 
We all hold an ideal of other people, of how they could be if they would change, but that ideal is not real. That's something in our imagination. The other people in our lives, they are who they are. That is what's real. And we ask ourselves, you know, can I love them as they are? And that doesn't mean you can never suggest to somebody they change. It doesn't mean you can't set a boundary and say, if you're drunk, I'm not going to come over. You can do all of those things. But if you choose to be around somebody, this is what I would suggest, especially in the case of like cancer or a terminal illness of some kind, is just bear witness with love and be their friend and sit with them. That's what you can do. And I don't think you would ever regret that. Some people, um, when their parents are dying or after they're gone, they, they write to me and say, you know, should I confront them about what they did? And I always emphasize, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you feel like would give you some completion on this. But I will say that rarely do I think people get any kind of closure from confrontations like that. Usually the people who were complicit in our abuse and neglect are not really in a place where they can apologize for it now or even acknowledge that it existed. And what they're likely to do is to try to get a barrier up so they don't have to deal with you because that's more than they can deal with while they're dying. And I know it's a disappointment. And I know there's this idea like that should come to completion before both before one of you leaves the earth, right? But it's just not always how it works. And I'm here as living proof that you can actually be happy. You can be a complete person even if you never have that conversation. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for healing in yourself while she lives after she's gone. And I just encourage you to put all your focus there. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.